Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in yet another overcast day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Charlotte Ledbeater, chairman of King Street Gallery. Charlotte, hello. Hello. Good morning, Matthew O'Neill. <laughs> Good morning. Thank you for coming on the program today. Uh, we might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? Well, a leader has to uh, inspire, enthuse, and have a, a vision and a dream that other people can believe in mm-hmm. so that you can, uh, you know, get those that, that bunch of people to, to actually come with you and share in a project and believe in what you are giving them, if you like. And so, of course, you have to believe in that project yourself. And I think uh, it's the ability to delegate um, without interference, so the person you delegate to um, is trusted is a trusted person, um, and uh, you need a good per- a good team. You know, you're only as good as your team. I think uh, in King Street, you know, it started off with six artists. We've ended up with twenty six artists. It's quite a big deal now, um, mm-hmm. and we have subcommittees that everybody pulls together. And I think that's another. A small business, you need to know who your employees are, um, how they are, uh, be interested in them as people, not just ciphers. And for that, not to just use email, you have to bring people up and talk to them as well. How would you describe your personal leadership style? Well, very uh, close, up close and personal. Uh, when I was chairman, well, I, I, I was chairman of King Street Gallery. I've only just stepped down last week, actually. Um, but I do actually talk personally to every artist on the phone in the gallery every day um, to see what the take is, uh, what you get. Personally, from someone is very different from what you get in meetings. You get people's true feelings, how they feel about the business. Uh, whether they're feeling included or not, that sort of thing. Uh, so it's very important to keep in close contact, particularly with, you know, your money, money managers, uh, your office people. Uh, people actually run the nuts and bolts of the company. Um, so you're the sort of person that uh, makes sure that things don't go horribly pear-shaped. You know, uh, so coordination and making sure everyone has. Uh, knows what's going on. So communication is is a very, very large part of leadership, I think. Now, of course, communication is absolutely key. Um, but with the, the areas in which you work um, being arts-based, uh, do you find that there is a different style of leadership necessary for working in the arts as opposed to working in a more corporate environment? Yes, very much so. The terms are different for a start. A workshop means something quite different to an artist than it does to a business person. Of course. And I learned that by uh, when I was running ballet company in Swansea, uh, uh, Swansea's Ballet Roost, where I was liaising with corporates and dealing with artists and dancers um, because artists and dancers are individuals, very individualistic people. Someone said it's like herding, herding cats. Um <laughs> Uh, they're lovely, <laughs> but they're performers. Um, a very, very different animal to to a corporate board, which I had to deal with with the chairman and um, uh, you know liaising with uh, the Arts Council of Wales, the Assembly, um, and uh, bodies like that, uh, and the Home Office for work permits and uh, 
also equity. Uh, so these sort of organizations, you have to learn how to deal with them as well as dealing with your artists, which is a very different kettle of fish. Now, of course, uh, part of being a leader is dealing with people. Actually, it's probably the greatest part of being a leader is dealing with people. And people have their natural fallibilities and and um, idiosyncrasies. How do you deal uh, with uh, the challenges of leading individuals when uh, things aren't going quite right for them? Yes, that's a very good point. Um, I also run the open studios in Candilo, and I've been mayor of my town, so I'm very used to dealing with all sorts of people. Um, Yes, you have to be aware of people's sensibilities. You have to have the ability to sort out crises. That means taking decisions, and sometimes unpleasant decisions, about, um, you know, who you're going to choose, for example, for um, leading up a team or, you know, um, running something or uh, you make value judgments. And I think that people are naturally um, need to be assigned to the roles that they're comfortable in. If you put someone in a role they're terribly uncomfortable in, I mean, a retiring person, for example, who's buried in computers on a desk glazing with the public, it, it, it doesn't work. They, they don't enjoy that. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to uh, deal with that sort of thing. Also, with Ballyrusa, I had to deal with, um, you know, uh, um, getting rid of uh, dancers who, who were mis- misbehaving, things like that. So that's unpleasant procedures. But uh, as part of a leader, you have to have these procedures in place and you have to be able to carry them out. Now, um, going in a, in a slightly different direction, if I was to ask you to go back to the very beginning of your working life, was there a particular individual who shaped the way that you lead today? Well, that's an interesting one. Um, I was very lucky in my education. Um, I went to, I think I went to about seven schools, <laughs> independent grammar and, uh, you know, even a, a state school in, in Yorkshire for a year, secondary modern. That was an experience. Um, and um, because I was learning Latin, so the middle girls would say, oh, do it, talk posh, you know, and all that. <laughs> so I have dealt with many <laughs> different sorts of people. Um, and um, from sticking out, well, I was very fortunate in my training in Campbell School of Arts and Crafts. I had wonderful teachers, Ewan Uglow um, and um, Frank Arbach. Uh, you know, great people. So it gave me a benchmark, if you like, of excellence um, in the arts. Um, I was also uh, very fortunate to live in the decade when Nuri had to, you know, escaped to the West. So I was in Covent Garden watching him and Margaret Fontaine mm-hmm. um, and the old Vic, all Hunter the Sun, Liam McCurn. So all those people were about. Um, and I was at college with Maggie Hambling. Um, and Sid Barrett and Pink Floyd. So uh, I think that when you have a, a benchmark of excellence in front of you, you judge your future uh, projects by that excellence. And funnily enough, well, one person that sticks in my mind is my Latin teacher in Maidstone Grammar School. She was wonderful. I, I love Latin. I've gone on loving Latin. <laughs> Very strange. Um, and my mother, of course, very influential in the ballet, took us to see Yolanda and Maya Plitskaya when I was very young and to the opera well, you know, and to the Writer's Spring 
uh, in Covent Garden. So I've had links with Covent Garden ever since. And in fact, one of my students' uh, designs for Covent Garden, that's Paul Brown, he sadly died three years ago. Um, no. Because I taught, I taught in a, a, a school in Brecon for 18 years um, and uh, I learnt, if you like, my leadership skills there, really. I had budgets and I had staff. Um, you know, so that was my first job in Wales. And the other things came from that. Now, unfortunately, Charlotte, our time together is very quickly drawing to its close. Um, But before we go, what does the next 12 months have in store for King Street? Well, we've won two awards, um, one for refurbishment. They say it's like Cork Street. And the other one was for the the excellence of our products. I was going to come to that. You need an excellence of product uh, to run a good business. And I think King Street Gallery has that. The artists work very hard. They all know each other. Um, and it's going from strength to strength. And I have great uh, faith in the new chairman. Um, and uh, also in the other organization, Candilo, which was the Open Studio Network, which we also won an award um, uh, for uh, artists as well. So I think this area is becoming a sort of St. Ives. I'd love to see it thrive as an artist community. Um, and finally, I'm writing a ballet. Oh. Writing, um, I'm um, also designing costumes and sets for a ballet about Nikolai Legat uh, for the Legat Foundation. Um, because I uh, I exhibit in St. Petersburg and I work with Marinsky and Kirov Ballet. Um, so that's another part of my life, which has been um, really wonderful. And in fact, when you said about a, a thing that influenced me, well, going to Marinsky and working with the Kirov was a high point in my life. And I think I, I wept coming out of there. It's such a privilege. Well, Charlotte, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you. And I very much hope that you come back on the program in the near future and we can discuss your ballet. Uh, Charlotte, yeah. thank you. Thank you very much, Matthew. That was Charlotte Ledbeater, former chairman of King Street Gallery. And now, if you haven't heard it before, it's Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, um, just... yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. 
when you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you just think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and uh, a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and of course a great manager in South Ramsey so to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career of course and, and then your life and that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peters? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, mm-hmm. again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he, uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life. Leadership is at the top. He's absolutely vital. For a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to, to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Al Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plane came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alfred Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. 
Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a, a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years, he it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time... At, Maybe overly strict for the time. You probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing. In, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. so mm. I, I had the, the impact of thinking I, at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think Mm. I was just happy to be, I'd be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back, out, out. So I never really felt 
people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week, over the next uh, three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's, I won't mention both. It's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, The other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and the most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions, and then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, and that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. But then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did. Uh, um, it did but make again, laugh that day. If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think, um, 
you were a young man when this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, oh. You, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches, people must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a, in a natural leader? Um. Well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the best example about a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude. Is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but. There's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other in the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck that's absolutely leadership he'd be the best example of course in in football terms today Uh, easily easily and of course going back not that long ago Alex Ferguson who's just absolutely Mm. you've got to take him as the first example because Klopp's only done this over a period of time a short period of time but if you look at the 25 26 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone how they've that they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they. Uh, Ron Green was yeah the answer straightforward answer is yes um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes I can elaborate as much as you want but 
the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate and I wouldn't pick any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. Yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and, uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody, and I've going back from an earlier, earlier question for me, that um, all hard-nosed professionals, good, good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers. We, we still got on, our wives got on all together all those years later. It didn't just finish after 66. They, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't, and, when, it, when you put those, those questions and how you categorize those, I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, the, the, the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts, but with it, Yes, the word, the, word is team. the word is the word is team. Absolutely, and I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes, you know, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without? in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job, um, thinking about that, that that role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. If you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top, Managers and lead it, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm. I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organization. And I think that's you're completely focused, you're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, 
thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over it. Go with Arsenal and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.